goodest of good days to one and all of you cats and kittens, and welcome to the scabrous socialist soul scream that is this week's episode of Discontent Provider, the podcast that would absolutely suck the poison out if you were bitten by a snake. Well, it would if anybody, you know, wasn't watching. Uh, as ever, the world's greatest lurcher, Arkham and myself, are taking our blissful ease in our happy place, an earthly paradise found, who'd have thunk it, in rural Warwickshire. At the moment, the lad is enjoying a revitalising dip in the babbling brook you can probably hear, just below the uh, sound of the babbling antifoki. He doesn't exactly splash about with giddy merriment, mind. He just stands in it, letting the cooling waters play around his limbs and occasionally dipping his noble head down for a refreshing slurp of the crystal clear water. Of course, it might not be crystal clear water. For all I know, and for all Arkham cares, and given the practices of our largely unregulated water companies, it might be water laden with 7,000 metric tonnes of piss-softened shit. Now, obviously, he doesn't care. Even the greatest of dogs have some pretty gruesome tastes and habits, but I, and I'm sure you, my dear podcast pals, would prefer that not to be the case. Oh, I mean to say, it's terribly nice and noble of the pipe-laying panjanderums to apologise for disseminating endless effluent into our waterways and seas, but doing so, and then telling us practically in the same breath that we'll all face increased water bills for the next hundred years or so, in order to offset the negative effect that their willful fuck-stumpery will have on their shareholders' dividends, is a little rich, don't you think? It's almost as though they've decided that the whole process is far too convoluted and have decided to save both time and money by pissing directly into our upturned faces. Well, that's that's just the way it is when our utilities have been so roaringly improved by the application of consumer choice embodied by market forces. If we, as valued customers, don't care to pay over the odds for a commodity tainted with human feces, we have the freedom to choose to obtain our water from a different company. It really is just that simple, eh what? Having said all that, however, right now I'm not, in the wider scheme of things, all that concerned about how many tods might be eddying around in our beloved stream. In fact, if anything, the more the merrier, because uh, if the old brook by which I sit and in which Arkham is genteelly disporting himself were shit-stiffened to the point that it resembled chocolate ready-break, it would at least be quiet. Yes, there'd be the odd plop and glop, but uh, how much more restful that would be than the riparian chatter that ceaselessly rolls by us. And that, I have to say, is really why we're here. To find a little peace, a little quiet. My God, I'm so tired of this damned war! Yes, here in our secluded spot, we can take time out from the never-ending struggle and think happy thoughts about what we might do when it's all over. Cruising in a T-bird with our best gals, perhaps. Or going back to work alongside dear old dad in the Yorkshire coal mines. They're about the best metaphorical scenarios I can conjure up, apparently. Uh, the, the, the peacetime dreams of soldiers mired in Vietnam and World War II. I suppose, at a stretch, I could refer to the Napoleonic campaigns, but uh, I think that bloke who played Rifleman Hagman in ITV's adaptation of Bernard Gilmore's Sharp novels pretty much covered the world-weary, one-eyed folk singer tropes. Nothing left for me to do there. 
Now, of course, when I talk about the war, I'm not referring to the possibilities presented by the ever-escalating hostilities twixt Russia and the Ukraine, nor our government's part in them. Should all that kick off in any serious way, there simply won't be time for anyone to experience battle fatigue, as we'll all be flash-fried to nothingness within moments. No, I'm referring to the drear and miserable battle for hearts, and, for want of a better word, minds, of the public in the culture war. This week saw that whole beastly business being kicked up several notches by the goings-on at the National Conservatism Conference in London, as you probably know. Oh my gosh and giddy gumdrops, cats and kittens. Can you imagine what that scene must be like? I, I've never had uh, occasion to visit a political convention myself, so it, it's really hard for me to even guess at what it, uh, what it might entail. Uh, some of the nastiest people on earth gathered in an hotel to put the word to wrongs? It scarcely bears thinking about, do it? Forget the speeches for a moment. Let, let us not dwell upon the near-fascistic Frankenstein policies being hatched in their seminars. Let us, instead, just briefly consider what they get up to when the hard work is done for the day. When they're just people of a similar inclination, having a jolly among their own kind. That's enough, I think. Uh, yeah, it's really better not to think about it for uh, too long. Oh, I don't know about you, but for my own part, I was getting some disturbingly strong vibes of a horror show that was part eyes wide shut, part Atlas shrugged, and part that last scene in the uh, uh, film Society. I'll tell you one thing for damn sure, though. The music there would be utterly and irredeemably frightful. Everybody knows that the devil has all the best tunes, and when I say the devil, I mean lefties and black people. Uh, so what was being piped into the bar at that shindig, eh? Wagner, reimagined as Lift Muzak? And that's the best case scenario I can come up with. That aside, however, the event was, to say the least, replete with interest for all us doom scrollers. Perhaps most notable was Jacob Rees-Mogg's somewhat indiscreet revelation that the government's voter ID scheme to eliminate electoral fraud might well have been in itself a pretty fraudulent affair. The former Minister for Brexit Opportunities, which was, as I think I've said before, absolutely a real ministry and in no way a pointless sinecure awarded to a Brexit loyalist who might have cut up rough had he not been given some nice shiny toys with which to play, said, quote, I won't do the voice. Parties that try to gerrymander end up finding their clever schemes comes back to bite them, as, dare I say, we found by insisting on voter ID for elections. We found the people who didn't have ID were elderly, and they were, by and large, voted conservatives. So we made it hard for our own voters, and we upset a system that worked perfectly well. Unquote. Actually, I'm going to re-quote that last bit again upset a system that worked perfectly well, unquote. And <laughs> were that little morsel not tasty enough to delight the palate of surly malcontents like ourselves, we can now look forward to the prospect of the Electoral Commission taking a look at the whole tawdry charade. According to The Independent, quote, The Electoral Commission has said it will publish an initial analysis on the impact of voter ID in June uh, and a full report in September. Unquote. Now, whether or not JRM's startling testimony will find its way into their report remains to be seen, but one can hope that such a barefaced admission of electoral tampering must have at least a wit of bearing on things.
That, of course, wasn't all that was noteworthy about the former minister's little talk. You can say what you like about our Jacob, and I realise that many do, but the fun never ends with that chappy. He was briefly interrupted by a member of Extinction Rebellion who, according to some media outlets, stormed the stage. Now, I realise that an element of sensationalism is de rigueur among the tabloid fraternity, but describing an elderly chap, the bloke was in his 70s apparently, as storming anywhere is loose reporting, even by Daily Mail standards. The old boy attempted to draw the audience's attention to the parallels between government policies and fascism, and, well, yes, it went about as well as you'd expect. He was bundled off, accompanied by booze, at least one cry of, Get back to work, you 70-something-year-old man, and some smug remarks from JRM about a National Loonies Convention, which shows, if nothing else, that wit and humour are not priorities within the public school system. What is fascinating about this little episode is the hysterical cries of those on the right about security. What if he'd had a bomb? Some screamed, while others, perhaps of a more practical turn of mind, asked the question, how did he get past the security? Well, that, you dear sweet children, is a very silly thing to ask, as the answer is painfully, nay blindingly obvious. It's not my way to gloat or to pontificate unduly, however, so I'll, I'll tell you the answer simply, because I'm sure you're all listening to Discontent Fucking Provider, and you're doubtless fully aware of how lucky you are to have Uncle Foxy on hand to set you straight. He got past security because he was a neatly dressed elderly white cove in a conference composed of primarily neatly dressed elderly white coves. It's a superb example, is it not, of how ridiculous and wholly ineffective social and or racial profiling is. And that, right there, is what brings us to the crux of this week's seance, because there can be no better introduction and simultaneous refutation of the gigantic dollop of culture war horseshit that was dumped upon the body politic by our Home Secretary, Suella Braverman. In her address to the convention, Ms Braverman, and one has to wonder how often her credentials were checked by security, laid out the whole dashed shebang. Like a dusky-skinned George C. Scott at the start of Patton, the winsome Miss B gave the faithful a rousing call to arms against the forces of radicalism, leftism and identity politics. Miss B did not hold back. Not only was her address a clear declaration of all-out culture war while deploring the culture war, it seemed to many to be a clarion call to the grassroots of the Conservative Party to unite under her banner should the almost inevitable coup against Rishi Sunak occur. It was, without a doubt, aimed at stirring up the very basest of the base and pretty much guarantees a brutal end to the current PM's career, particularly in light of their electoral punishing a couple of weeks ago. As Cluedo enthusiasts might say, I accuse Suella Braverman in the Emanuel Centre with a rambling hodgepodge of populism and intellectual dishonesty. Most dishonest, of course, was her warning against division among Conservatives. She said, quote, One way that we Conservatives must distinguish ourselves from the left is by not devouring ourselves through fratricide. Yeah, a touch, um... A touch questionable there, I think. Uh, unless, of course, she means that the cannibalistic free-for-all must stop once she's been installed as Prime Minister. 
Let's face it, the only thing a beleaguered political leader wants to hear less from a rival than an appeal to unity is an assurance that they have said rival's unqualified support. If Sunak returns from his international jaunts to find the locks at number 10 changed, he can't say he wasn't warned. Far more disingenuous, though, and ultimately far more disturbing, were the Home Secretary's characterisation of the left, or as she insisted upon calling even the fucking Labour Party, the radical left, and identity politics. The latter she referred to as the politics of grievance and division. It is illiberal and incompatible with social uh, cohesion. And apparently she meant to say that, dash it all. A perfectly good 14-word Tory party slogan simply thrown away. Her remarks upon the subject, uh, as was without doubt her intention, have given ammunition to every wearisome boomer to bleat about their white victimhood. Why should we feel guilty? Why can't we idolise our national heroes and celebrate our culture? And that, podcast pals, is the rub. Because it's simply twaddle. Notions of white guilt or white privilege have been so twisted, so co-opted by the political right to the point that they have lost even the most tenuous connection to their original meaning. Let's just go over them quickly because time is pressing and Arkham has probably consumed far more faecal matter than is, you know, even a dog's stomach can cope with by now. Despite the weary moaning of racist apologists, white privilege does not enshrine anything like the idea that all white cats and kittens have it super easy. It is merely asking them to consider that others may, and frequently do, have it worse. It's about how a person of colour is more likely to be stopped and given a once-over by a cop or by a store detective while shopping than a white person is. It's about how if a person of colour succeeds even in the smallest way, getting a job, receiving a promotion, the assumption is that it's got more to do with box ticking than with any individual merit they may have. Shit the bed, that doesn't even apply just to members of BAME communities. The, the same unfounded allegation gets tossed around if somebody with a disability, an LGBTQ plus punter, or even, God forbid, a woman wins out. All the idea of white privilege, ableist privilege or hetero privilege asks is that people give that sort of thing a spot of thought and try, be it never so difficult, not to be a dick about it. After all, if a white straight man succeeds, to automatically ascribe his success to racism or sexism is pretty wrong-handed and silly, if you don't know the facts, is it not? Well, the same rules should apply all around. If you don't know the facts, if you weren't there at the interview, if you haven't been given access to the individual's CV, why not shut the fuck up and stop trying to drum it into a civil war? Yes, it's entirely possible for discrimination of all kinds to exist, but to instantly leap to that conclusion, especially when helped to it by a newspaper headline pushing an agenda, uh, that is what is truly divisive and, quote, incompatible with social cohesion, unquote. Now for white guilt. Frankly, this is one of the shittiest tricks that the powers that be have pulled in recent years, damaging as it is to both black and white people. The notion that all white Britishers bear a burden of guilt for colonialism or slavery is obviously a falsehood on its face. The empire was a fantastic earner for those at the top, but it did very little, and in fact caused a lot of harm, to the ancestors of the current generation, uh, who are being encouraged to revere the bold pioneers and entrepreneurs like Clive of India or Edward Colston. 
If the royal family were to return their jewels and splendour to all those darkies, hiss the shit suckers on the right, what's to stop Africans and the like demanding that you hand over your stuff? I've actually seen and heard that argument being made recently, several times. It's pretty much the same cheap manipulation used by those up top to quash any talk of fairness, equity, the redistribution of wealth, or higher taxes for the 1%. You never know, if you work hard and do exactly as you're told, maybe you'll be super rich one day. Then the communists will come for your money. See how you like that? We see this most often, uh, often when there's any talk of increasing death duties, uh, with the like of the Express and the Sun reminding their readers that if it were to happen, they'd have the very devil of a job passing on their baronial estate to their kiddies. No, if there is any guilt or a case for reparations to be made, it is not the likes of you and me that would uh, have to make them. It is those that still live high on the hog on wealth accrued by the exploitation and robbery of those they screwed over with absolutely the same lack of compunction that they screwed over the white uh, forebears. Why defend them? Why give the tiniest of tin shits should their pompous monuments get defaced or pulled down? All that crap is the culture of the ruling class. Our culture is one of making the best of things in between coughing your lungs up in cotton factories or being used as cannon fodder in colonial wars that didn't benefit anyone but the same type of people who are pissing all over us today. Right, well I'm pretty worn out now so uh, it's probably best to head on home I think. Uh, thanks for bearing with us. Please enjoy the song at the end, and uh, if you could, do all the usual liking, subscribing and oversharing that are part of the sacred obligations borne by podcast listeners the world over, won't you? All opinions expressed are mine and should be used for entertainment purposes only. Well, you might have been entertained, I wouldn't like to say. And all quotes have been culled from reputable media sources. Give us a tweet at Foxy and Arkham or email us at discontentprovider at gmx.com. Uh, no, actually, sorry, that's uh, discontentprovider at gmx.co.uk. See, we're patriots. We'd love to hear from you. Honest, we would. Cheerio. Alright, Arkham, boy. Come on. We're going. Parties at the crossroads, so just what should we do? Kick that wank around and we'll all vote for you. Brexit's a disaster, how to win back votes? Say you'll stand up to the EU in the Coonsie small boat. If we seem divided, won't the faithful lose faith? Not when the other option is a Blairite snake. A civil war is tricky, do I really have your backing? For at least six months before we send you packing. Can we heal the wounds of division and hate? Now we're 60 odd years and several PMs too late. How to rebuild Britain's trust in democracy? Give them gerrymandering and pointless IDs. How to take advantage of identity politics? Identify a group and then just shit upon it. In these times we need a united front. 
We're on our way to that Cos they all think that we're cunt I'll lead you, I'll serve you with all of my heart I'll put you in the cabinet How's that for a start? How can I be certain you won't bin me off? If you find a decent fiddle, give us room at the trough Nothing stays in fashion like bitterness and hatred Won't the people start resenting crime and corporate theft? We can blame it on the immigrants and radical left What's our strategy if they should start to see through us? Turn on each other like rats in a sewer Just how credulous the voters get? We've been here for 13 years and they ain't rumbled us yet We've been here for 13 years and they ain't rumbled us yet Stick together, cats and kittens.